For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Okay, uh, good evening, everybody. Um, Perhaps you will uh, join me in a bow to all of those whom this day celebrates. Um, I'm going to be looking at my notes a lot, uh, maybe not so much at you all. So uh, feel free to close your eyes and relax if you like, uh, if you don't want to stare at me staring at something else. So, um, not so long ago, I was um, in my little garden plot out at uh, uh, 65th and Woodlawn, and um, I was working, pulling weeds, uh, checking on some new things coming up, and I noticed that there was this praying mantis um, nearby. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them i i didn't have them where i grew up and so i first saw them here and uh i find them quite impressive um they're very strange looking and sort of simultaneously really elegant and really awkward um and this guy we could say was uh, firmly based in settledness he was um let me work very close. Um, I worked around him, tried not to bother him. He didn't seem disturbed in the least. And um, I had this really strong and satisfying sense of sort of, you know, here we are together. And I had this strong sort of feeling that in a way we had been there together forever. Um, I'm not trying to say this was like a big mystical moment, but it was a very complete moment, um, more than a moment. It was like a half an hour. Um, And I was thinking, and I remembered a version of the Bodhisattva vow that I used to chant in another practice situation, the first line, which is, all beings, one body, I vow to liberate. And as I was reflecting further, I realized, in a sense, my lineage as a human being and the lineage of this mantis um, are equally ancient. And in fact, because there is always something before, there's something before the human lineage, uh, you know, that if we go back and back and back and back, eventually it's the same lineage. If we look broadly, and deeply enough. So this insect was very literally a cousin, billions and billions and billions of times removed, no doubt, but a cousin nonetheless. So all beings, one body, what does, what is, what's that? Um, well, it, it's tipping its hat at this notion we talk about Praditya Samutpada, Dependent co-arising, the truth of emptiness, we could think of it, one way to think of that truth. And um, 
These days, most of us in America, most of the time, gloss this idea of interdependentness, or excuse me, interrelated. We, we gloss this as interrelatedness. And for me, when I approach it a little more deeply, I find this kind of a thin way to think about it in the sense that it's very external. We have A over here and B over here, and we can draw a line. We say they're related, um, and that's true. But it's also, <clears throat> excuse me, it also, that way of putting it kind of misses the richness of the notion that I think comes to us uh, through Dharma, that all things are not only related, but necessarily and inherently related and necessarily dependent on one another. Thich Nhat Hanh uses the phrase inner being, interbeing, and I think this comes a little closer, sort of picking up that valence of Indra's net, um, the way in which Suzuki Roshi says that we are always both completely dependent and completely independent at the same time. Um, we have our Dharma position, but um, our Dharma position is um, constituted, we could say, by every other Dharma position. All beings, one body. We throw these words around, but, you know, what's a body? What's a body? Um, well, one definition in the dictionary that I consulted says, a human being or animal considered as an organism, good enough. You know, so we're talking this body, this face, these, these ears, um, you know, this here now. And this makes complete sense in what are really some very limited contexts, even though we know that it's limited and provisional. This is limited, provisional, temporary, uh, transient, on its way coming, on its way going at every moment. So another sense, another secondary definition is the entire material or physical structure especially of a human being or an animal. And this too makes a lot of sense provisionally. But what is the entire physical or material structure that makes this appear, right? It just takes like not even a moment's reflection to reveal that the physical and material structure that results and supports this uh, does not in any way stop at the sort of boundary of my skin. This, this is a way of saying that my body does not stop at the boundaries of my body, um, if I could put it that way. You know, and sometimes in other talks here, I've, I've, I've mentioned, um, you know, this sort of reflection I have about, I don't know why it impresses me so deeply, but the, re the realization that the process of, of my breath and my blood going through this, this body, this limited body, for example, we're all completely functioning, completely in place before anybody who could sort of say, oh, 
my name's Eric, you know, ever turned up in any, in any way. Um, and that, and that this is true of essentially everything, uh, that I call I. And, you know, those things, whatever, whatever that is, you know, will continue in other bodies when, you know, this body is completely departed. My body does not stop at the boundary of my body. And my life does not stop at the boundary of my life. This body, this life, in this way of thinking has to also include you. It also includes the mantis. As Suzuki Roshi says, I is the entire universe in the form of I. And you is the entire universe in the form of you. So I ask you, who would arrange seats to entice a guest? You know, everyone is already here, right? Or, as Shuto continues in the Song of the Grass Hut, although the hut is small, it contains the entire universe. Recently, down here at our, like, Southside group, uh, Shuto Paula spoke, um, and she read the Ehe Koso Hotsuganmon. And hearing it voiced by another person in a way that I don't usually, usually I'm chanting with people or usually to myself, with myself, um, it just kind of really knocked me back on my heels. And, 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 and in particular, um, this line, um, in this life, save the body coming from accumulated lives. Now, here Dogen is quoting another monk, Longya Judan, and I'll say more about him in a minute. Accumulated lives, accumulated lives. What do Dogen and Longya mean by this? I don't really know, you know, but I think I, I've never responded to this line in this way before, and I think it was because I assumed that Dogen was alluding to this kind of classic and in some ways very simplistic notion of some kind of an individual, you know, karmically being driven through a series of lives resulting in this particular precious human life. And in some ways, I have to say that idea does not resonate with me, doesn't, it's never particularly moved me. And it, kind of confused me that Dogen expresses himself in this way, or Longya, more, more immediately. But, you know, thinking a little more, I, I really don't think that's what Dogen means at all here. In fact, you know, elsewhere, he very clearly uh, sort of pinpoints this kind of thinking as heretical. You know, this is a big topic, and we could go into it at another time. But 
I don't think that that's, you know, this other idea is what Dogen means here. And even in the Ehe Kotsu Hatsukanmon, he says that to accomplish the way is to do so with the great earth and all animate beings. It includes the mantis and all beings in every lineage. Really, um, you know, the great earth, uh, I mean, really going back to stardust, I think. Um, now, you know, I have no idea if, if Dogen had anything like this in mind. And um, I have no idea if what I'm saying here is congruent with what Dogen sort of thinks and believes about these kinds of things. I don't know if these things align. But I would say, in practice, that kind of alignment of beliefs and ideas is, is not at all the most important thing. Um, as Shuto also says, you know, thousands of words, myriad interpretations, are only to free us from obstructions, right? So, uh, so I feel free. I feel... Um, emboldened to uh, take Dogen's words, Longyo's words, and uh, say them with my own meanings, trying to respect, of course, those that have come to us before. Okay, so who is Longyo? Well, he's a fourth-generation descendant of Shuto, whom we who is the author of the AA, or excuse me, the author of the Song of the Grass Hut. Which I should note, I just footnote here, we have courtesy of Taigan, and we've had it brilliantly, I think, um, some brilliant exegesis um, on this wonderful poem from our pal uh, uh, Ben Connolly up in Minnesota. So just, just to note that. Um, and it's, it's, in, in my view, it's the tone of it, the, the kind of grace of it uh, is, you know, the, the register in which this song is sung is um, completely unlike anything else we have in our liturgy. Um, and, I, and I love it. Anyway, so Longya is a Dharma descendant of Shirto. He was a Dharma brother of Ungo Doyo, which is to say these two men were both successors of Dongshan, the founder of our Soto lineage. And so I don't know what kind of Dharma descendants Longya had. Um, He's not directly in our line. He's not uh, a direct forebearer. But when we step back, as we do with the mantis, um, a, a little further, uh, we see that the lineages are joined, whatever lineage, and that, in fact, Longya is uh, kind of an uncle to us. Generations removed, of course. Um, just in the way that the broader sort of deeper in time sort of way of thinking tells us that the 
the mantis is a, is a cousin of a kind. Um, homeless Kodo, Kodo Sawaki, um, comments on a koan that involves Lonya. Um, and I think it's, if not useful, at least interesting here. Um, the, the story goes like this. Once a monk asked, how did the ancient master, i.e., how, how did you, Lonya, um, how did the ancient master finally cease doing things and settle down completely? And Lonya answered, it was like a thief slipping into a vacant house. Sawaki Roshi comments, a burglar breaks into an empty house. He can't steal anything. So there's no need to escape. Nobody's chasing him. It's nothing. Understand? It's nothing. Now, a note here. Uh, in, in the next bit, uh, Sawaki Roshi uses Satori. I just would like to note that here, I myself would substitute just practice. Um, so practice is like a burglar breaking into an empty house. Although he has difficulty breaking in, there's nothing to steal. So the family resemblance here, right? Shuto, Longya, Longya through Dongshan, and on, Soaki Roshi, is really clear. And it's the, you know, there's this kind of recognizable DNA that we can hear in this poem, and, and in this con, um, that, you know, sometimes we call the family style, our house style. Um, there are many examples of this. I just noticed another one when we were chanting, if I can. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's, uh, Shirto says he built a grass hut where there's nothing of value. Longya. He slips into an empty house and finds nothing to steal. Shirto speaks of not separating from the skin back here and now. Longya says, in this life, save the body, coming from accumulated lives. So we see the same, uh, and the other one um, that I noticed, uh, living here, he no longer works to get free, whereas uh, Sawaki Roshi's comment says, there's no need to escape. In fact, nowhere to escape, too. Um, so um, we, we see that the same, if I can use this metaphor, the same blood is thro- flowing through this vein, their veins. This is the, this is the bloodline, uh, and it goes very long and deep. And this one goes to Buddha and to the Buddhas before, um, even though it's related to all these other things that come together. Um, so, you know, what, what is the blood that flows through the veins of this lineage, the veins of our Buddhas and ancestors? Uh, Taigen's teacher, Tenshin, Reb Anderson, says that it's the precepts. And yesterday, Taigen discussed Tenshin's teacher, our teacher, Shunryu Suzuki Daiosho, Near the end of his life, Suzuki Roshi spoke about what he called single body 
precepts. Now, I, I understand that in the way I haven't I haven't yet seen the uh, transcripts that Taiken generously sent out. Um, uh, and and Taiken was talking about single body precepts in a slightly different way than I am here. But nonetheless, the that idea is so resonant with what I, the what I was what was coming to me that I described before in the garden. Um, you know, and if I understood what Taigen was saying yesterday, you know, uh, uh, the great hearted Bodhisattva's precepts, you know, then in a way are kind of prior to, you know, the 10 grave precepts and all that. Um, what they do is they dissipate the delusion of separation. And we could say as a corollary to that, that they do so in a way that does not obliterate or uh, um, erase difference. This is, and again, we can tip our hat to Shuto, who gave us the the harmony of difference and sameness. You know, very essential, beautiful teaching. So, save the body coming from accumulated lives. Which body? All bodies. The body. Now, separation. Thinking in the smaller, limited sense, this body. Um, you know, that's a. Uh, we have to do that. Uh, we could say it's a kind of upaya. But if we entirely buy into that side of things, and only that side of things, we wind up really sort of doubling down and getting stuck in the delusion of separation, which, you know, I think in some ways, and I think as Tygen was talking about it yesterday, this is the the sort of primordial um, source of our other difficulties, just as... Um, to see through that is one way of thinking about um, what we might, you know, call realization or awakening, something like that. Now, thinking back to what Sawaki Roshi uh, commented on about Lonya. You know, one of the things that that kind of suggests is that, and I just make this as a note because it has to be noted, that Dharma practice itself is kind of a special case. It has its, this kind of weird, magical quality to it. That's not a good word, of course. but And what I mean by that is we enter into practice really as thieves, we, I think most of us, maybe all of us, we think we're going to go into Dharma practice. We're going to break into that house and we're going to find something we can grab onto and uh, carry away such that it will affirm and reinforce this delusion of, of separation. It will be ours. It will augment and ornament us. But uh, the magic is that um, 
through practice itself, that kind of damaging wound, um, it, at least there's a potential that it will be healed, that we'll, that we'll see through it. Um, Lomya gets in there and finds that there's nothing to steal. I think he probably also finds there's really no one to steal it. Um, anyway, that, so this is a special case. But if we are not healed through Dharma practice or some other practice, whatever it is, it's almost inevitable that we will go through our lives as thieves of a sort. And that when we do so, the violence and heartbreak and confusion that we see all over is, is almost an inevitable result. Um, there will be problems. There are problems when my idea of me cannot find room for you and for in a, you know, we have this phrase, the body politic, right? Um, which I'm just kind of riffing on this idea of bodies. And we, we see all the time that when we, constitute a we that cannot also include whatever it is we're calling them, um, there will be problems. You know, just think about what we're seeing in the streets now where there, you know, some of us have uh, an idea of, of what us is, what an American is, what a what a white person is, what any of these things, and and what do we see? Um, we see, you know, just endless heartbreaking violence. And, um, you know, so so we see that the, when the we is imagined, it's a delusion, but it's an imagined not to include the quote other, uh, you know, we wind up with this kind of nightmare from which it seems like we will never wake up. And we call that history. We can call that karma. It's both. And if our notion of being fully human, right, cannot find room for all of us that is non-human, you know, we, the result is this sort of pillage and destruction collapse that we see ongoing. Um, So I don't know uh, what else to say, um, except for in conclusion, we could say, you know, in this life, in this body, as this body, me, you, in in the limited sense, but also in this bigger sense that our uh, teachers have presented us, um, 
in this life, save the body coming from accumulated lives. And uh, uh, thank you for listening. Have I been heretical, Ty, again? No, I, I wanted to thank you um, uh, for um, expressing the family style so well, and thank you for your body, and I want to thank your uh, praying mantis friend and his, her body for um, helping to express this as well. And... Um, not sure what else to say, but I uh, look forward to other comments or questions or responses. David Yoda, Gray. Thank you so much for that talk. Um, there are all kinds of things I want to ask you about, but the, but the main thing that I, I want to ask you about is the word save in the, in the expression save the body, because save could mean rescue, save could mean preserve, it could mean maintain. And when I think about you and me and the praying mantis, uh, it almost sounds more like, you know, dropping off, dropping off body, like, and, and anyway, so, so you've been thinking about this phrase, save the body, what, what, how, what, how would you explicate save? Well, it's a wonderful question, um, you know, I don't, I don't think there is first between, you know, this idea of save the body and dropping off the body, um, dropping off body and mind. Um, I, I don't think there's really a, there may be a tension, but no contradiction, really. I, I think what we're talking about there is um, the sort of, duality based in non-duality, but the duality between this body and the bigger body, the, the one bright pearl. Um, and we're talking about the difference between what we call, you know, uh, what is he called? What does Suzuki Roshi call it? Uh, small mind um, versus the big mind, whatever that might be. Um, I didn't have, I, I wondered also um, about this, this verb uh, save, um, and I did not have the means to to check um, the the actual character. Um, maybe Taigen knows it, but I suspect it's one of these ones that can be uh, different valences of the meaning can be uh, picked up on in the various ways the words translated. And it would not surprise me. Um, it, think about the Bodhisattva vow. Sometimes we talk about saving all beings. Sometimes we talk about liberating all beings. Um, and I think it's that same uh, kind of sense, very likely, um, we could hear that is um, liberate the body. In other words, um, 
uh, I mean, that can mean many things, but um, in other words, uh, uh, recognize that your body um, does not stop at the boundary of your body, if I could put it that way. Um, wake up with, as Dogen says, the, the great earth and all animate beings, that kind of thing. Does that help? It does. Thank you. Just to uh, respond to your inquiry, I think the, the, the fourth Bodhisattva vow, we, I think we say free all beings. Free. Um, yeah, but the, some translations of that earlier on did say save all beings. And I think a lot of people re- objected to that because it has the tinge of maybe... Uh, Christian salvation. I ne- didn't bother me so much, but the the Chinese character that's used there is Do, which is uh, literally to carry beings to the other shore of liberation, uh, like the Paramitas. So, anyway, that's sort of some of the etymology there. Yeah, thank you very much, Tygen. I'm wondering if I could um, lean on you to maybe send me that that character so I can look it up and. Yeah, I'll I'll try and I'll try and if you, if you have it easily available. Thank you very much. Yeah, do I think it is. Yeah, I, I can buy for it. Yeah, I, I was um, going to ask Kyoshin. I know you're more of a maybe a botanist than a zoologist, but uh, do you know anything about praying mantises? You're muted still. Oh, am I unmuted now? Yes. Okay, my headphones aren't letting me hear myself, so I took them off. So the praying mantises that you see here are mostly from China, interestingly. (laughs) The only native (laughs) praying mantises in Illinois are in the southern part of the state. We don't have any native praying mantises here. They're all exotic species so uh, maybe they're uh, bodhisattvas from (laughs) China Chinese lineage (laughs) they're a very interesting animal you probably have heard their their mating habits are the most famous thing about them uh, where the female eats the male during the act of copulation, which everyone finds sort of exciting and interesting to talk about. They're, um, they're very, very voracious eaters of other insects and other small beings in the garden, which is why we have lots of Chinese praying mantises in our world, because they've been imported by gardeners for that purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, uh, they're everywhere now. So nobody quite knows what they're doing in our ecosystem. If they're wreaking havoc or uh, being helpful, probably some of each. Our our natural areas are so confused right now from so many other um, uh, outside influences. This is yet. This is one of many uh, many things that are changing in our natural areas but they are charming beings and right now they're very large you know they start out really small and they grow over the growing seasons so and right now they're pretty gigantic so the one you saw was how big Nyo-san? 
I would say it was four inches long, he or she. I can't hear you. Probably four inches or so? Yeah. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, I would say about four inches. And I would, you know, in his defense, um, I would say I'm not exactly clear, you know, what the effects I'm having on our ecosystem either. And oh, I can guarantee you have negative effects. Yeah, let me <laughs> I guarantee I, that. Yeah. <laughs> There's I do no my question. best. And no. just, just uh, sort of fortuitously, <laughs> I mean, I think it's wonderful um, that these things just happen to be called praying mantises, yes. you know, because of how they're built or whatever. But well, because of the moment, way they're... Yeah, but that moment gosh, in the garden. show all the time. <laughs> I mean, that's what it felt. That's what it felt like in the garden. It, I mean, it really felt like a kind of communion, like we were kind of, you know, praying together or offering up something together. Um, so that was kind of cool that they just happened to have that name. Well, they're praying P R A Y and praying P R E Y mantises, <laughs> <laughs> just like most people who pray. <laughs> Thank you, Kyoshin. You're welcome. Just the yes, just the notion that our body is not limited by our skin bag here and now. That our body is more than that is, I think, an important insight. So, thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because I mean, it, I think sort of folded into that is that um, part of the way that we take care of the larger body involves taking care also of, you know the skin bag. So in other words, I mean, we, uh, you know, we have a sort of perhaps a unique responsibility to our particular uh, constitution configuration, our Dharma position. Um, But if we approach that correctly, it can be part of the way that we take care of the bigger thing and vice versa, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I believe Eve has her hand up. Yeah, well, Nyozan, when you say that the body isn't limited by the skin, you, you mean the mind too, don't you? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, and that's something, I mean, I, I learned it from, from systems theory. But, you know, when you talk about relatives and relationships, I mean, to me anyway, there are strong relationships between systems theory and and Buddhism. I mean, you know, Joanna Macy, her dissertation, which she turned into a book on um, dependent co-arising and and general systems theory, I think it's called mutual causation and and general systems theory. I, I mean, she talked about that and... I mean, I was introduced to to the that idea that that the the body isn't limited by the skin, and that when you're talking about um, any kind of um, action, that that you need to talk about both body and mind. I mean, I mean, I learned that from from Gregory Bateson, who talked. Yeah. About 
um, yeah, the idea of when a man cuts a tree with an axe that that you have to look at the man and the axe and the tree and the way that difference and in information travel around that whole circuit. And, and he also talks about a blind person with the stick and, and, and that's, and it's both, and the whole, the cybernetic wing of systems theory does emphasize the, um, the unity of body and mind that, that you can't really explain things. Well, and you're not explaining things anyway. You're explaining relationships. You know, yeah, by separating them. Tygen could probably help us on this, but I mean, there's somewhere that Dogen says something to the effect that you know he came to realize that what that mind was no different than the than the mountains and the the trees and the rivers, and uh, in many ways that's. You know, I have a hard time actually even thinking about mind, you know, because it seems like anything we call intelligence and uh, or circulation of information is very well thought about in precisely the way that you cited with Gregory Bateson. Um, uh, the It's all contained, uh, well, I couldn't, I can't say it well, but you know, that it's in the relationship of the being holding the axe, the axe, the tree. Um, it's not somewhere removed from that. So, right. again, do you know that quote? Well, I, I, there's various places. I think the Mountains and Water Sutra, he talks about this. Uh, so, yeah, the whole uh, quality of awareness is not separate from the environment. So he talks about this, and Dogen talks about this in various places. Yeah, and Bateson said the basic cybernetic unit is the same as the unit of evolution. Mm-hmm. Kathy? Yeah, no, it's interesting. Uh, and, and in contrast, uh, today well, maybe having all this time to myself in general, uh, and I've been trying to go through old records, and um, and this all coincides with I'm going to be 70 very soon. And um, uh, and I going back through grade school and high school and college journals and notes and scrapbooks and uh, thinking, is any of this relevant anymore? Uh, and And then realizing... Maybe it's helpful to know who I am and understand uh, where I came from. Uh, and, and lots of it pertains to friends and groups and people I interacted with and things I've done in my life. Uh, um, and so when I think of, you know, this life and... Uh, eventually not being here, you know, I think of, um, you know, so we influence maybe in some ways or people who've known us, you know, or uh, our relatives, our uh, loved ones, our uh, people we've known in in a variety of ways, Um, maybe they're little pieces. um, But um, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, except that that I find myself trying to sort out as I age, um, 
you know, maybe it's time to throw out all the scrapbooks and just like uh, free fall uh, and stop thinking uh, about things so much, um, especially when it comes to just your own life. Uh, but then the psychologist in me feels like that is the source of understanding some things. Um, and we use ourselves to understand um, universal issues sometimes as well. And so, um, yeah, and I studied Gregory Bateson, too, and have used that a lot in family systems work. Yeah. Um, I, I would have two, two comments to that, Kathy. Um, I don't know if they're helpful, but uh, they seem like they might be germane. You know, I remember somebody, when I was at Tassahara last time, saying to me that... Um, one of the benefits of that kind of close kind of communal practice is because, um, you know, that kind of, you know, abrasion or, you know, sometimes that those kinds of things that can come up, you have this opportunity to see the self as it arises in relation to other people that, that that's where, you know, it's there that self arises in a way. And, you know, I don't think that there's any great necessarily magic or mystical connection between the Japanese language and, and Zen, um, or that our own language is in any way uh, ultimately um, incapable of expressing those things. But it's interesting that uh, one of the, probably the, the main term, uh, for for people for a human being in Japanese is ningen, and the it's a compound. The uh, the first one is like this, which is just means person. The second one is like this, and it means between. And the implication, you know, between uh, um, and and sort of the resonance there is that what a person is is something that, as in the way that people are talking about it at Tassahara, you know, is something that actually arises, you know, me and you actually sort of arise um, in the space between us, in the in the mutuality, in the inter- interaction. I mean, we have right, yeah. basis for that, but it's interesting. Yeah, I like that example, and I, uh, I can imagine... Uh, I was at Tassahara for one week and not for a sashin, uh, but did sit. And I was thinking it would get intense if you were there for practice period uh, because you're working so closely and sitting and sharing uh, so closely. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Good luck with uh Boy, you've got more courage than I do. I mean, I've got like a file cabinet and I just can't, I can't, I can't go there. Um, I would, I would also add to that, Kathy, that it seems like um, you're going to carry your notes and your scrapbooks with you, whether or not you throw them out. Like you, you literally cannot throw out um, all of the notes that you've taken, even if you wanted to, even if you get rid of the physical object. Right, they're they're built into 
the very essence of, of who you are now and, and going forward. So you'll, you'll always carry them with you, um, whether or not you have the, the physical item. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's cool. And we don't have to work at it. No. Well said. Yeah. Well, that's part of what Dharma means, right? That the, that the history of whatever you've done continues up into the present. I think that's karma, maybe. A future. Dharma's, well, it's included in Dharma, which is just reality in the, in the wider sense. Yeah. Um, since, since, we're, since we're on that, uh, Yozan, you used the phrase um, Dharma position, and I really, I really like the, the resonance of that. I, 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 maybe I haven't heard that before. I mean, I know the word Dharma is older than Buddhism, that it's, it's, it's in Hindu scriptures and like a warrior say will say well i've got to fight this battle because that's my dharma i'm a warrior and warrior dharma is i fight battles so i fight battles and that seems easy and straightforward but 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 this notion of dharma seems maybe more uh, maybe more subtle like is, is my dharma position just how i find myself in the world is my dharma position something that i realize through practice or what how, how would you explain dharma position well, um, I mean, there are, there are various ways to talk about it. One way uh, we talk about it, for example, in the context of the, you know, practice of the temple is, is simply, you know, what, what role are you performing? What function are you carrying out? So um, today, um, Wade is being the... Um, the host for Zoom uh, in a temple, somebody be a doan, uh, ino, uh, doshi, all these things. That's one way of thinking about Dharma position. But I think um, another way, and I don't know if I'm fully justified in this, I think the way to think about it is, I think that it's the, uh, we can think about it in terms of Indra's net, mm-hmm. where, um, you know, and, 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 the same kind of idea uh, spoken about in the harmony of difference and sameness. And it has to do with the fact that even though, for example, everything, um, as sometimes people say, you know, self is entirely constituted of non-self elements, you know, so, so, you know, the particular Dharma jewel that you are in this net um, is completely reflective of everything else. You is the universe in the form of you. Um, and that's Dharma position. Uh, and, um, and so even though it has no inherent own being in a, in a sense, and that it's, it's, it's entirely made up of the reflection of the entire net of causes and conditions and so on. It's also a fact that nonetheless, you know, uh, there you are, David, you know, as David, um, there's a particularity there that is not, um, eclipsed by the broader net. And when in terms of Dharma practice, that means in, in our practice, um, you know, our situations are unique and 
you know, because they are unique, they are always, you know, on the one hand, precious and special, but, but also that means that our way forward in practice is, will also always be uh, particular um, and that we have, uh, by virtue of being who we are, in that that's who, who we are as you know as David is as as Nyozan, um, uh, certain in our practice and in our relations to the world, um, yeah. um, we will go amiss if we are not responsible to those things and don't live out the truth and maintain the integrity of of that particularity, even though we understand that in a broader so that's Dharma position, even though we understand that Dharma position. Um, has no uh, inherent. Uh, it's it. That's a that's a, a relative truth. It's not the the whole truth. But neither one of you you can't you can't get you know you have to always have both of those. Does that does does that help at all? Um, wow! Thank you for that so much. Yes, that helps a lot. Let me just add to that that uh, Dogen uses that term a lot and. Uh, I'm not sure that it would, I think it may be something that Dogen originated as a, ter, as a technical term. What, Dharma uh, position? Dharma, Dharma position. I'm not sure of that, but I think maybe so. Uh, yes to everything that Nyozan just said about it, but it's a particular term about um, one's particular situation in relationship to reality and the truth and the teaching. Douglas, you were going to say something? Well, I was going to follow up along the lines of what you were saying, and it's it's your identity, who you are within the causes and conditions of this moment, which is not separate from the rest of reality. It's not separate from the rest of time, the past, present, and future, but it is a perspective of you uniquely within the causes and conditions of this of this moment and the totality of relationships right now. And so it's, it's not that you have a Dharma position that extends through time. Your Dharma position is right now that you must respond to in order to live authentically and up to live a life of awakening. So maybe we're in the Dharma position of its almost time to end the <laughs> formal event, but is there anybody else who has something they wanted to ask Yozan or comment on or respond or last comment? <laughs>